this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. doing interviews I, for a while i emulated sort of the form of what mark Marin was doing with wtf you know like 90 percent of the show is the interview but that first 10 percent that's that's conversational it's kind of like what the whole show here is but it just he would do it at the beginning so i would try to kind of get into that mode and what i found was the hardest part and what I'm finding now is still the hardest part is figuring out what the first words are going to be. The rest, I'm fine. Once I'm in the episode, once I'm moving, I'm fine. But what are the first words? Because there's this blockage for me. I don't know if everybody has this, but there's this blockage. Like, do I just say hello? Or like the last one, do I say welcome back? Because they all feel performative, cheesy, weird, unnatural. But maybe, I mean, maybe that's the point of them. You know, like people that start off with like catchphrase things. Marquez Brownlee, the tech YouTuber. I think every every episode he starts with, he starts with uh, welcome back, everybody. There's another YouTuber whose name I can't remember right now who would always start with, Hey, friends. And I always, I don't know, like, I always felt weird about that. Like, oh, if you get too locked into a catchphrase, when does it become too formulaic? You know, when have you lost that originality, that genuineness? But now I understand that maybe they're doing those things just because they have the same problem I do. Figuring out what the first words are going to be. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stew on that. I'm going to stew on that. Obviously, I made it into this episode, okay? So far. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You know what drives me nuts? So I'm using this Zoom 
H5 recorder, technically a field recorder. I'm using that as the audio interface to record because the Scarlet that I had a couple months ago that I've had for years, it started making this crazy static sound and I couldn't deal with that. But this, the thing that drives me about this, drives me crazy about this H5 is I'm using Fathead or Fethead, which is it, it boosts the audio because the microphone I use is notoriously quiet. But the headphone jack on this recorder, it's not made for that. So I'm, when I talk about this level, I'm getting distortion in my headphones. But when I go back and listen to the audio, because the audio is not going through that, it's going directly to the computer, it sounds fine. It sounds normal. It sounds perfect. But I have this cognitive dissonance every time that I'm recording, that when I get too loud for the H1 or the H5, I get distortion. So sometimes I think that's why if you listen to these, I've been tending to get down into this vocal range because I'm training myself to whisper with these with these headphones right now. So I don't know. I don't know why I had to share that, but it's been driving me nuts. I had to get that out. So you know, I'm still trying to figure out how this whole thing is working. So far I like the free formness of it. But one of the things that I've been kind of struggling with Struggling is a heavy word. One of the things I've been puzzling is knowing what is going to make it into the show and what's a tweet. You know, what's something I'm going to put out there and what's something I'm going to bring in here? It's something similar I talked about. So I talked about something like this on my previous, one of my previous shows that some of you may be uh, former audience from, which was Brainstorms. I talked about not knowing how to differentiate when I tweeted if it was going to go to one count, one account or the other account. So when I was running four Twitter accounts. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Like I said, it's not a struggle, really. It's a puzzling. But something that rolls around in your head. And I think I figured it out today on accident. Because I had something and I was looking at it and I'm like, all right, I'm going to bring that in the episode. And then I looked at it and I'm like, but I don't have anything to say about that. That's literally like, just like, I don't know, like two sentences. I'm going to bring two sentences into a podcast episode. That's tweet. And I realized, I'm like, ah, if it's something that that's nuanced or requires extrapolation, that's what's going to show up here. But it's something, I mean, there's still a fine line there. And there are some things that will still go to Twitter that could qualify as that. But there's just some things that would be exhausting to try to explain on Twitter. So basically what I'm saying is I'm appreciating the experience of watching this, all of these pieces take their own forms and how they all fit together. Because you don't have to worry about too much. I built everything to work together. So they do work together. It's just learning. You know, there's something I realized when I was writing down the note to talk about this. 
I looked at some of my other notes and I realized I'm like, oh, that actually, that thing that I'm going to talk about, I did talk about on Twitter. But that's the way some that's the way Twitter is for me. You know, I've I've mentioned this previously on I think brainstorms as well. When I used to do that show, I would talk about the struggles that I was going through, the challenges I was facing. And one of the challenges was understanding what role social media played in my creation process. And what I came to, the conclusion I came to back then, which I still stand by now, is that's my, it's like my notebook. It's where I just throw things. And then something can happen with those later if I want, or that can be it. And I think that's what it, what is really interesting right now is I'm putting stuff on Twitter. And then when it comes time to do an episode, I'm like, you know, I have more thoughts on that. I have more things that I want to talk about, about that thing. And that's kind of interesting to see that interplay because then it's going out. And then ideally people are listening to this and they're going to tweet back ideas sometimes about things that started out on Twitter. So there's this loop that's possible. But we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about something like that later on. I have, I have everything in the set order in front of me because I'll lose my mind if I don't have at least an arrow <laughs> to direct me through what I'm going to talk about in every episode. You know, these technically everything that I'm talking about today is not related, but I seem to found an order that makes sense to me. And the, the, the first thing I have on the list, the first thing on the list is that iTunes is full of alt-right nutbags. <laughs> I probably shouldn't laugh at it. I don't know if you guys ever go into the iTunes charts and look to see what the top podcasts are, or if that's just something podcasters do. I'm sure, I'm sure it's something just podcasters do. Most people probably don't go look at the charts unless they're maybe looking for something to listen to. But I go in and I noticed that after the election that there was in the top 30 podcasts about, and this is his direct quote, the fastest freeway out of being strangers. Wow. That's it, isn't it? Right? When, we, when we're with someone and we laugh, we bond. Uh, Will, Will says that when we, when we laugh, Nobody looks good. You know, we all look ridiculous. So there's, there's some kind of release there. You know, that social facade, that protection that we put up, laughter explodes it. It doesn't just turn it off, it blows it away. And we're sitting there, you know, I think of, I think, what I think of right now is Eddie Murphy's laugh. <laughs> like, it's just that you're doing something that's just not, quote, not human. You've just been freed of something. And when you're doing it with someone else, yeah, you bond because there's that, that border between you was gone and you begin to overlap. And maybe because Robin Williams couldn't help but continually make people laugh. Maybe because of that, we continually bonded with him over and over 
and over again, that he continued to strip away our pretense and expose us. And because of that, we we can't let go of him because he's like, he's part of us. I mean, that's a big, big thing to say, but it's really like the loose ends have wrapped around each other and he's just, he's on the fringe of us. There's a release in humor, a freedom in it, but also a binding, binding us together. But what else is it about humor? I thought a lot about that. You know, I was getting, getting ready to take the dog for a walk right before, I mean, right before I was getting ready to take the dog for a walk, I watched this video. So when I'm on the walk, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about humor. Thinking about it so much that actually I forgot to turn on my headphones. You know, like, have you ever done that? You're thinking about something, maybe you get in the car and you drive like 15 minutes and you realize like you've been driving in complete silence for 15 minutes because you're just, your head is somewhere else. So that's where I was. And like, what, what is it about humor? And it's not just that, the bonding I think it's also that humor brings us into the moment. You know, there is no past, there is no present. I mean, there is no past, there is no future. There's just the present when you laugh. There's just the experience that you were having at that moment and nothing else. You know, lately I've, I've gone back to listening to vinyl records. And the reason I've been listening to vinyl is because I started to feel some kind of disconnect with my music. I've talked about this on Twitter before. Something about streaming music made me feel like I wasn't I wasn't interacting with my music anymore. That sounds like a strange thing to say, but let me tell you a little something. When I was younger... And I would, first I'd buy cassettes, and then I would buy CDs. Either way, whichever the two I had bought, depending on the time it was. When I would get home, the first thing I would do, if if possible, would be to take that tape or that CD, put it in, hit play, and then take out the liner notes. And read the lyrics while I listened to the album for the first time. Read along. It wasn't necessarily because I was concerned about what was being said, but I have a have attention deficit. I didn't really know what the hell that was at the time, but I knew that reading this while listening to this kept me focused on the music. And I never felt like I really, like if, if I ever got home, Maybe I didn't have a chance to do that right when I got home. Maybe a a couple of days, maybe a week had gone by before I'd sat down and read the lyrics while I listened to the album all the way through. I never really felt like I owned the music because I didn't, I didn't know it. I hadn't, um, I guess you could say I hadn't looked at the map. So I didn't have a, I didn't have an idea of what the land, I didn't have a lay of the land. And I was starting to feel that way 
with streaming that I wasn't, that I didn't own it. And when you literally, you don't own it when you stream, right? You're just renting it. But I mean, I didn't own it in the sense that it didn't feel like my music. And I don't mean in the sense of possession, but I mean mine, like as in, yo, this is my song. This is my album. This is my favorite album. This is my favorite line. This is my favorite moment in this song. I didn't feel that kind of possession of it. It felt like, I don't know, like, you know, like when you, when you watch something like a commercial, you experience the commercial, but like once it's over, it's gone, right? You don't carry it with you. Unless it's a really good commercial. A lot of TV shows can be like that. You know, you watch some episodes. And you don't remember many of the episodes, but you remember certain ones. Movies can be like that. But with music, you know, like music more than any of those mediums is, it's to me, similar to the way I, I am with books. Continually going back. But with albums, we go back to albums the most, theoretically. Like, if you like an album, you don't just listen to it once and be like, I love that album. The end. We do that with movies. <laughs> we do that with TV shows. Like, I loved that show. Only well, seen it once, all the way through. Most people do this with books as well. I don't, but that's because I, I realize the value of going back to something. And it's probably... Julia Cameron says in The Artist's Way, many of us equate difficulty with virtue, art with fooling around. So sometimes you can get criticized online for talking about, oh, I'm doing all this work and all this work. And people are going, what work are you doing? Like, you're just, you're just turning on a microphone. Like, there's no, there's no work to that. Come on now. You're just showing up and acting in front of a camera. There's no work to that. You're just writing words on a piece of paper. There's no work to that. But as Victor Hugo said, one is not idle because one is absorbed. There is both visible and invisible labor. To contemplate is to toil. To think is to do. Because as a writer, you will get shit for calling something work because people will come in the room and what do they see? They see the invisible labor. They see someone staring at the wall, but someone who is staring at the wall isn't doing nothing. They're contemplating something. They're figuring something out. They're doing mental labor. And so much of acting is invisible labor. We see the final takes. We don't see the multiple hours of standing around while people move lights and move sets so that you can deliver a line, wait for the camera to move to a different position, deliver the same line, deliver it again, deliver it again. Okay, now we got the take we want. Put the camera over there. Let's do it one more time, except let's, okay, can you do it a little happier? All of that's invisible labor because we don't see it. So actors are just, they're having fun, right? They're just on set having a blast. I've been on sets. It's hard work. It's exhausting. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Same thing. When I was a caterer, we would do the same thing. We'd hurry up 
hurry up. You got to be there on time. Got to be there on time. Okay, we're here on time. Now we have to wait 30 minutes before we can set the tables. Hurry up and wait. It's this invisible labor. People walk would walk into the kitchen and see us all in the kitchen just kind of hanging out, talking to each other, eating, smoking cigarettes. And they these guys aren't working. Yeah, we are. Part of our work is to wait until we can do the thing we can do because everything has to happen in time when it comes with catering. So you hurry, hurry, hurry and set the tables. And then you sit around and you wait until it's time to eat. And then hurry, 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 hurry. Get all the, get everything out to the tables. Get everything out. Serve that whole table at the same time. And then you sit and wait for them to eat. And then hurry, hurry, hurry. Bus all the tables. It's start and stop. Invisible labors. And it's the same with podcasting. People think, oh, maybe people think podcasters just turn on a microphone and talk. But all the stuff we do before, all the stuff we have to do afterwards, no one ever sees. But here's the funny thing. That's okay. If people think what you're doing is easy, you're doing your job. You're doing it right. There's an interesting article I just read by David Perel the other day called Hide Your Work. And one of the things he talks about in there is the idea of writing something that feels easy for people to read. He says, your work is done when it looks so simple that the consumer thinks that they could have done it, which means they won't appreciate how hard you worked. And that's the biggest part of the job, is not getting credit for the invisible labors. Doing the invisible labors, but not getting credit for it. Seth Godin talks all the time about his writing and says that he wants basically people to read the stuff he writes and go, yeah, that seems obvious. He feels like he's done his job if he points out something that people think is obvious that they had just never thought before. You're not going to get credit for that stuff. That's part of the job. Part of the job is doing things that nobody will ever see. How many writers take things and throw them away? The novelist Philip Roth would say he, he said he wrote on average 200 pages before he'd actually get to where he started the novel. And those 200 pages he would throw away. They were just what he needed to get to where the story started. And it's thrown away. He doesn't get credit for those 200 pages. He only gets credit for the book. There's a story of Picasso that may be apocryphal. It may not have ever happened. But graphic designers in particular love this story. Picasso's in a restaurant and a woman comes up to him and asks him, oh my God, you're, you're Pablo Picasso, aren't you? And he says, yes, I'm Pablo Picasso. She says, would you please, would you please draw something on this napkin for me? So he takes the napkin and he just does a quick little squiggle. And then he hands it to the woman and says, that will be $10,000. She says, what? You just did that in like 30 seconds. And Picasso says, no, that took me 40 years to do. That's the invisible labor of the artist, that the artist, that's why, that's why paintings are so expensive. You don't pay for the paint. You don't pay for just the paint on the canvas. You don't pay just for the time that it took to paint that one particular painting. You're also paying 
for the time it took for the painter to get good enough for you to want their painting. It goes back in a way to yesterday's episode where I talked about, actually that wasn't yesterday, two days ago, copyright episode where I talked about the original, the original person with an original idea. They sell it, they have to pay, they have to charge for the manufacturing and for the time of development. But the copier who spends no time developing only has to charge for the manufacturing. So they always price out the original because the development is an invisible labor, but without it, there would be no product because the copier can make nothing without the person who originally invents it. And the original person to invent it needs the time to develop it. And that's valuable. So as always with these episodes, I like to recommend something from the archives. I just did. If you didn't listen to the copyright episode, why don't you go back and listen to the copyright episode? Because um, whenever you talk about art, we talked about a lot of art in this. It's good to understand how messed up American copyright is. And if you guys want to support this podcast, this is the part where I get to face the uncomfortable. Please come and become a patron. Not only because I would like to be able to pay my medical insurance every month, <laughs> but because I really, I, I'm really loving the Discord app and I would love to have people to be able to make a Discord server and chat with. So you have to be there. People have to be there for that to happen. So go over to patreon.com forward slash Chad Hall and become a patron. There's two levels. I kept it easy, kept it simple. Both levels get the same thing. You're both going to be able to hear the short little Patreon extra I did before this about my pre-production process. It's just a choice about which amount fits your budget. But everybody gets the same thing. Simple, straightforward. You can also go to the Lend a Hand page on my website where there are nine other ways you can help this show, including the one that I mentioned earlier. Rate and review this podcast. I know it's uh, it doesn't do much in the algorithm. I'm not going to lie like most podcasters do, or maybe they're not lying. Maybe they actually believe it. But it does look nice to see that people actually like a show. So then when somebody clicks on it, they go, people like this show. And uh, I'm trying out a new podcast website. I'm using pod pages for a little while, see how that works out. And that displays the reviews all across the bottom. And my most recent review, I'm embarrassed to say, was from two years ago. Probably the last time I asked people to rate and review the show. And also, if you're listening in Overcast, your little like, your star on episodes is really important. The bulk of my audience is on Overcast. So if I could chart in the arts, that would be really cool. And I put out enough episodes. Man, if you guys liked every episode, I would chart. So those those would be really helpful ways if you don't have the money to become a patron. And now that I have faced the discomfort, I have done this part of my job. My tea is now drinkable. And uh, I'm going to end this so that I can edit it and post it up. Oh, before I leave, actually, one other thing. You're probably aware of this if you're in America. But I have listeners in India. I have 
listeners in many other countries. So for all of you who don't know this, today's the 23rd. In two days is Christmas. So tomorrow's Christmas Eve. I'm not going to record an episode on Christmas Eve, and I'm not going to record an episode on Christmas. What I am going to do is tomorrow I'm going to post an episode that I originally made as a Patreon extra before I really started putting so many episodes into the public feed. And now I've listened to that episode and I think it deserves to be in the public feed. It's my thoughts after watching the movie I, Tonya. So that will show up for all of you on Christmas morning. <laughs> and then I think maybe, maybe I might have a, a Christmas present the next day. So until uh, the holidays are over, which two days, Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, if you celebrate none of them, be glad that we're almost out of 20, 2020. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. I, I don't say that often enough. Thank you. I'm grateful for you and uh, happy holidays. As well, you know, I definitely feel that that had an impact on her emotionally. But the fact that both scenarios turned out or had, I, I, I guess, um, happy endings, you know, it definitely <laughs> felt, felt great, you know, and, and, and felt good and made me feel, uh, positive about more things and what's, yeah, what's, what's to come and stuff like that. I don't know. It's weird when I talk about, it. it's just, yeah, strange. And that feeling right there where you say, you know, what's to come, is that what made you really, really start focusing on screenplays now? The screenplays I had always had an interest in. You know, I'd always been, you know, a big fan of, of films and I always wanted to write them. And that ultimately was what I, I wanted to do and ultimately what I'm doing or what I, what I aim to do now as a, as a career that's something that I've always that I've, that I've always been very interested in and fascinated by. The blog was, uh, and not that that takes in any way, you know, precedence over the blog in any way. I just, I, the blog was uh, just something that was born of kind of just this that that experience itself. My son. So you were continuing to work on screenplays through all of this. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It must have been nice to have something to do at times. It did keep my mind busy. And, and I will say this, there was a long period of time before any of this happened where I didn't write a fucking thing. And I felt like a complete fucking fraud and would tinker with the screenplay every couple of months and think, well, fuck, <laughs> I'm not a writer. You know, I mean, writers actually write. You know, writers sit down and, and write new shit. They don't just with things thinking that they're actually fixing something which I wasn't I was just sitting in front of the computer for five ten minutes thinking that that was enough and it wasn't and this thing happened and it just kind of it, it just kind of uh, lit a fire it really did you know and the blog came from it and then it just kind of reinvigorated the screenwriting as well it did have a huge impact on on the writing itself and and a lot of it was because I just I, I liked being I liked being busy, 
it inspired that creativity and it was therapeutic. The blog was therapeutic because of what I was able to express about myself. And then the screenwriting was therapeutic on a, on a pure creativity, just a level of creativity. And do you think that kind of like a, when you strip a wire, you feel like all of that pretense, like the, you know, the, the imposter syndrome, which is so, so common that anybody listening should, should definitely know that they're not alone in that. But do you feel like that yeah. ripped that away or do you still struggle with that? I struggle less though with it. I will say that, you know, I, I do feel I've grown more confident as an aspiring writer. <laughs> you can't see my, uh, you, you can't see my air quotes, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I do feel I've grown more confident. And a lot of that has been because how much more I'm writing now than I was before. And a lot of that has been because of how honest I try to be in the blogs. You know, it, it definitely was liberating in, in a sense because I didn't feel like I was lying about anything. Some of the things that I reveal in, in the blogs are, are embarrassing, <laughs> you know, but that felt good. It felt good to, to reveal and to tell people and, you know, hearing someone say that they, you know, laugh their asses off about something that they read, you know, feels good, even though they're laughing at me. <laughs> it feels good because of how it made me feel um, sharing it. There's a blog that I've been, I have been writing. Yes. <laughs> I talked to my wife about it. It's just this embarrassing, this embarrassing story that, uh, it's it's a blog that I that I do want to share, but I probably won't do it while I'm working a nine to five job. <laughs> so maybe when maybe if I if I start working as a as a screenwriter, then uh, then 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 it'll be one that's shared. <laughs> or you can plug it into a screenplay uh, under another character's name. Yeah, I can do that as a, as a pseudonym. You know, blog is a pseudonym. <laughs> Do you see like uh, when you when you look look back from where you're standing now? Do you see that magic of that synergy? Just even just the the synergy between this blog that you started to write about photography that bored you to write about photography ended up being this vehicle that got you to really start making progress on this dream that you've had. And I'm not gonna include all the things that happen to your son in that synergy because i don't think that that's a, a fair way to describe that but the synergy between those two things do you see that or is it just something that it's just a coincidence no i i, I do i i would be lying if i if, if i said that i didn't owe a lot of what i've written to that experience because it really did inspire me to to just express myself and, and and the blogs that I had written, I had written a few blogs before writing the blog about what happened to our son, you know, the blog about the fucking, the blog about music, the blog about the eighties movies or the blog about when I tried to help a, <laughs> tried to help a, a girl, a woman that I thought was being held hostage by her boyfriend or whatever the night that I totally fucked up doing that <laughs> just you know, all of that stuff was all of that stuff was inspired by this event 
and you know, I would be lying if I said that 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 wasn't a huge that that didn't have a huge impact, and it was not a coincidence at all. It really did. It, it like I said, it really just it it just lit that fire and and kept it going. So we know how, in some way, how you move on as a as a creator. How do you move on as a father after all of that? Uh, well, just just that's a good question because. You know, there's always that lingering fear, e- even though I am so thankful for the the result. You know that he's doing well. You know he's he did great through this whole experience. He's doing well. His his scans are are clear. We just had a recent one last May, June. I'm sorry. But there's always still that lingering fear. And I know I'm always going to have to face that fear. And that one of these scans will, will be different. And it does fuck with you when something like a bloody nose happens or a stomach ache or a headache or something happens. You know, I, I do have to remind myself to not, you know, let that turn into something else. You know, we still have to be, you know, a strong parental unit and, and not completely, <laughs> not completely lose it. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You just, you just go on and face the, or not even, not even face. I mean, this is something that we, that's extraordinary being, being a father. But I mean, just realize that these people are, you have lives that are depending on you and for better or worse, if that turns out bad, it's because of you. <laughs> and I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> That's a, a heavy burden. I imagine Yeah, looking at someone and going, I am, I'm responsible for who you become. Yeah. This is maybe a strange question, but, and I don't even know if you'll be able to answer it, but which, which do you think is, is the, the harder one to deal with? What happened? And the fear of it coming back or that responsibility of you being the person who shapes this other human being. Wow. Um, it hit me with that one, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. They're both equally scary because you just, because they're both equally, to me anyway, unpredictable. I say and I feel that I'm a good father. You know, I think I, I feel that I am to my boys. I, I, I would be a fool to say for certainty that I will always be one. That's scary to me. I, I would like to say that. I would like to say I will always be supportive and I, I will always have the answers for you and I will always be able to guide you in the way that you need. I will always be able to teach you the things that you need. But maybe I won't. I know that I there's fucking nothing in me that that doesn't want that. But I don't know. That's scary too. And how much surrender to to that is involved? You know, how much do you just have to surrender to the reality of how things you know the, the unpredictability maybe is a good way to say it. How much surrender is involved in that? Sur- I have to learn to surrender that fear. You know, I mean, that's, that's really, 
you know, when, when I think of that, when I think of the word surrender, that's, that's what I need to do. I just need to learn to surrender that fear because I don't want that fear to manifest itself into anything. I would hate for that fear to manifest itself into anything negative. In all of this, I've never really felt angry. You know, I felt hurt and devastated. I'm not a largely religious person, so I, you know, I, I never had those feelings of why is God doing this to us, or you know, oh, there there can't be a God because because this is happening. You know, those 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 thoughts were never really ones that I that I shared or, or expressed or even said. There wasn't really a profound amount of anger. It was just more being afraid of the outcome and afraid of what that was going to do to us. When you say that word surrender, over anything else, that's what I need to surrender. And that's hard. When you get up in the morning and you see you have two healthy sons, what's that feel like every day? It feels wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. But the fear is that little voice is what makes me ask that question, do I have two healthy sons? Do I only have one? When Jojo was, uh, was going through this, it's, and, and, I, and I talk about this in the, in the new blog, because the new blog is, is, you know, centers around our, uh, our son, Sammy. Having a, a child that young go through that, definitely, it kind of it sways the attention. It does. And sucks to, to realize that. The, the kind of drawback of that was, you know, our son, Sammy, maybe feeling a bit left out at times. Um, and even though he was young, but, you know, in a way, kind of having to fight for attention and not realizing why he's, he's having to do that. You know, we started noticing just some interesting behavior at school where he was always a really big kid for his age. He was a lot more active physically than his teachers seemed to, uh, his preschool teacher and, and even TK teacher seemed to um, be able to handle at times. So we didn't, we didn't necessarily know if it was like an ADHD type thing and, or anything. So we, you know, we decided to, you know, to take him to get evaluated by a doctor and, and they, didn't necessarily see the ADHD. They more so thought uh, it was it was more of a misplaced anxiety of anything. So I wake up and I see these two beautiful boys, and it just completely fucking fills my heart. But I don't necessarily you know think of it that way. Like you know, oh my god, I have these two beautiful, healthy boys. But I I do look forward to every moment. I get to spend with them in the morning when they wake up. That that fear is always there. I'm not even. I think we're going to have to end there. I don't even know where to go from that. I, I've been asking this question at the end of each of these, as I think we talked about when we started. The goal of this is to learn from people, to not with some specific goal of what to learn, but you know, hear people's story, to hear who they are, and 